Good morning, Mission View Church. I'm super excited to be here this morning. Um, first off, I want to do a quick little side note. Uh, thank you to everyone who helped us move last week. Uh, it's kind of been a week for us on staff, waiting for floors to get done and moving things around and getting organized. But uh, we had an awesome crew, uh, not yesterday, but the Saturday before that helped us move. So we really appreciate it. We're officially in the new location and excited about it because we're right across the street from our new building which is exciting. So I want to start off by, by sharing a little bit uh, quickly about something I went through when I was in college. Um, so uh, our college ministry often challenged a lot of us to live together as Christians so we can sharpen one another. And I remember uh, me and seven other guys crammed ourselves in one little house there were four bedrooms with one bathroom. So eight of us sharing one bathroom, all trying to do college full-time. There were a few of us engineers, few computer science. We barely had any place to study, so the library was really our home. Uh, but I remember being in that house with all those guys was incredibly good for us um, because it challenged us, right? And what I, I always noticed... Um, whenever we had some kind of disagreement or something came between us that divided us, uh, most of the time, honestly, it had to do with dishes or chores or someone not doing their chores or whatnot. You know, you just have those kind of scenarios. Uh, we, we had a couple of those. But whenever we had scenarios like this where something was dividing us, you know what I always noticed was missing in those times? It was laughter. You know, we were roommates in college. We had a lot of fun together. But we also got into our disagreements. Maybe it was even differences of opinion on some Christian or thing that the Bible says um, that we got into disagreements about. Whenever we let those things bother us and come between us, we didn't laugh together. We didn't have happiness and joy in our house together. It happens. We honestly currently live in a time period that is extremely polarized, right, with this election this ju that just passed. We also have a lack of face-to-face -face interaction, mostly because of social media, honestly, but then this pandemic has just kind of pushed us further into our little corners. So we have things that divide us and come between us every single day. Here are some more examples. Obviously, household chores can be one thing. Someone's not doing their job in the house and someone is. Maybe it's vaccines. Should I get a vaccine? Should I not? What about country music or rock and roll? Country fans in here? Yeah, we got a couple. Rock and roll, eh. What about homeschool or public school? It's a thing that divides Christians sometimes. Yoga pants, no yoga pants, what are you allowed to do? Ultimately, failing to seek unity amongst Christians is a sin against God, which ultimately steals our joy. When we don't seek unity, it sucks the joy and the and the joy out of our congregation. This morning, our passage in Scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if you would, uh, open up your Bibles there. 
And we're going to talk a little bit about this, about unity and how it's linked to joy. So while you're flipping, I'd like to pray to prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word. Lord God, we thank you that you're here before us. And we thank you that um, as we dive into a, a tough topic like this, as we dive into it, um, we know and remember that you speak truth into this, that you bring unity, that you bring joy to our lives when we seek you and put everything you believe and your opinion above our own. So speak through us, Lord, this morning as we listen to Paul's words to the church in Philippi. Help us, Lord, to understand the truth behind this and to apply it to our lives in a way that uh, will be joyful and edifying to our spirits this morning. We ask all these things in your name. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So today, um, we see unity. It's being threatened all the time. Well, the church in Philippi was in this same boat. They were strong Christians. But the biggest threat to their church was division. People and mindsets and philosophies from the Greeks were threatening the unity of that church. But Paul here gives a statement. He says, I want you to complete my joy by doing a few things. And before he even makes that statement, he has an if statement. He, you know, it starts in verse 1. So if there is, if this, then that. So we need to, we need to follow this for a second. We're going to dive deeply into verse number 2, but I need to speak briefly to verse number 1, which is the context, okay? So I, I need to talk a little bit about verse number 1 so that we can go deep into verse 2. The if statement teaches us how to obtain unity, right? I, I told you already, I think we need to be pursuers of unity in our church. We need to be pursuers of unity in our family. Well, this is how you do that. It's verse 1. And there's five things that we do as Christians that cause unity amongst us. And these are them. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, Participation in the Spirit, any affection, and any sympathy. Those are the five things that produce unity, which leads to joy. So, what we're going to talk about today is verse number two. What we're going to talk about is the identity markers of unity, which completes Paul's joy. Right? If Paul cares so, mu so much about a complete joy for himself, for his church... We should too. We can learn from what Paul thinks complete joy is. So we're going to study what identifies a unified church. And here's what we're going to learn today. Joy is completed by uniting in four things. Joy is completed by uniting in theology, uniting in love, 
uniting in spirit and uniting in purpose. So the first one, being united in theology is the first identifier of unity which completes joy. That comes from verse 2. Let me read it. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. So here's the question. How did I get from being of the same mind to theology? Right? I link the two. I think they're synonymous. Well, this is how I got here. We need to understand what theology is, right? That, that word is tossed around all the time. People have their own ideas of what theology is and what it means. One of the ways that it's misused is by this statement. I've heard this uh, legitimately in churches. Theology divides and mission unites. Theology divides and mission unites. Has anyone ever heard that? I have. Well, the statement is actually wrong. Because if anyone thinks that theology divides, they're misunderstanding what theology is. So let me put it super simply for you. Theology, by definition, is words about God or words for God. It's the words that we use to describe who God is, what God does, and how he does things. That's what theology is. It's the study of God. It's any word we say about God. Akron, Ohio is famous for a guy named A.W. Tozer. He was a really famous theologian that wrote tons of books. And if you ever get a chance to, to read one of his books, I would encourage you to do it. But he says this about theology and how important it is. He says, this is going to come up on the screen behind me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, every single person operates by a theological understanding of who God is. We do that. Whether this theological understanding is right or wrong, it doesn't matter. We operate by a theological understanding of who God is. We live and die by our theology. We just, we do. So here's a question. How do I truly know what I believe about God? How do I know what I believe? Okay, we're not talking about whether what I believe is right or wrong right now. It's just, how do you know what you believe? How do I know what I believe? Well, here's a couple of examples of how you can tell. And basically, it's how do you act? How do you behave? If you want to know how you truly believe, what you truly believe, I would ask the question, well, what do you do? How do you behave as an individual? Here's some examples. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Well, I'd ask you this question. Do you pray? Do you believe that worshiping God is important? I don't know. Do you come to church on Sunday morning for worship? Or maybe the pandemic version, do you turn on your live stream at home and actually worship instead of scroll on your Instagram feed? Do you believe the Bible is God's word and the ultimate authority? I don't know. Do you read it? When you read it, do you criticize it or do you seek to understand it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins? I don't know. Do you forgive your own sin? 
Do you believe the mission of making disciples is important? Why well, I see the question. Do you make disciples? Your behavior is the biggest indicator of what you believe. They go hand in hand. And we know that, right? People say actions speak louder than words all the time, right? The way you act is going to tell me how you believe or it's going to tell yourself what you believe. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's why we're talking about theology because it's important and a lot of times theology gets a bad name for itself. When we all learn about God from the same source, we achieve unity of mind. That's another important part of this. Right? When we say we're seeking to have the same mind, which has to do with theology, we have to dive into where do we get our theology? Where do we get what we believe? Well, it's right here. It's God's word. In these pages, God has breathed his word here. And when we are all seeking to understand what God says to us, I mean, sometimes I have to think about it for a second. It's crazy. Like, God literally speaks to us from this book. This is how he speaks to us. And when we all get our theology from the same place, guess what happens? We have the same mind. And joy is completed by uniting in theology. That's point number one. Joy is completed by uniting in love. You can see that in verse 2. Complete my joy by being, by having the same love. So being united in love is the second identifier of unity, which completes joy. Now, we're in the Advent season, and Pastor Matt last week preached a, a wonderful sermon about God's love for us. If you weren't able to listen to it, I would encourage you to go check out our website and listen to it. It was so incredible and so good. Let me just summarize real quickly what he says, what he said. Pastor Matt taught us that in 1 Corinthians 13, which describes the way love interacts uh, in our lives, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't how we accomplish love. That's not what it's actually about. 1 Corinthians 13, Pastor Matt said, is actually about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. No matter what virtues or behaviors you attach your faith to, none of it can be accomplished by yourself. You need God to accomplish love in your life. You can't do it. I thought this was interesting as I was studying this. I, find, I found a commentator talking about how oftentimes we love someone because they are attractive. And we pick and choose who we want to love or who we want to give attention to based off of how attractive they are to us. Or sometimes when we go seek to love someone, we think about how, what can this person that I want to love give to me? And whenever we see someone who can give me a lot, we're like, man, I gotta go love that person because shoot, 
Their love feels good back. This is not the type of love that Pastor Matt was talking about last week. That type of love is conditional, right? It's, it's based off of a condition of attractiveness or what can, get, what can I get out of this? You see, the love that Pastor Matt was talking about last week is called agape love. That's the Greek word that uh, the Apostle Paul uses for love. Agape love is literally defined by Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. You see, that death and resurrection, it cost God everything. It cost God himself to die on the cross. But to us, it was free. See, God didn't choose to love us because he thought we could give him something. He created us. We can't give him anything. Agape love is unconditional love. It's without condition. It doesn't matter how attractive you are, God loves you. It doesn't matter how much you can give to God or serve God in his church, God loves you. It does not matter. When we all have Christ's love for one another, we achieve a unity which leads to complete joy. Joy is completed by uniting in love. That's the second identifier of a united church that leads to joy. Third, joy is completed by uniting in spirit. Being united in spirit is the third identifier of unity which completes joy. Having unity in spirit, honestly, I was studying it, it's, it's a little difficult to explain so I'm going to work my way backwards through this one, okay? I'm going to talk about what being united in spirit is not before I tell you what it is, okay? First off, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. It's more talking about a sense of togetherness, like, a, like good vibes. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, good vibes. Maybe I'm too young, but yeah, like good vibes, like we're vibing together. We get along. But here's a couple other things that unity in the spirit is not. Number one, a un- united in spirit as a church means that we have, no one is seeking personal ambition by being here. When a church is united in spirit, there is not an ounce of personal ambition. Secondly, when a church is perfectly united in spirit, there's no selfishness. There is no selfishness when people are united in spirit. Thirdly, there's no hatred. Being a church that's united in spirit, you don't have hate for one another. There's not an ounce of hate in the room when a church is united in spirit. Fourth, envy. There's no envy and there's no jealousy. When A church is united in spirit. You will not see people jealous because someone else is in the pulpit or jealous because they're on that service team or jealous because they get to do so forth or whatever or jealous because so-and-so called me and -and so-and-so didn't. There is no jealousy in a church when we're united in spirit. And also when we're united in spirit, there's no love of yourself. You don't Love yourself like that conceited love that people have. Being united in spirit 
goes right along with being united in theology and united in love. That's what unity in the Spirit is. When we're united and have the same mind, and when we're united in the fact that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and accepts us unconditionally, when we're united in those two things, the unity of the Spirit follows on right behind it. Pastor Matt talks about this a lot also in another aspect. He uses this idea of the spine and the rib issues. All right, spine, you guys have heard this before, right? Give me a nod if you have. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we've got a couple. Spine and rib, rib issues. When, uh, when a church can recognize the difference between doctrinal differences and then differences in theology that aren't that important, we have the ability to be united in spirit. He talks about this all the time. So if you don't know, let me give you a quick, uh, quick understanding of what this is. Spine issues are doctrinal issues that believers should, should care about and possibly divide upon. These are things like Jesus Christ's humanity and divinity, also like the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. These are things that are really important to God, so they should be important to us. Now, rib issues are greater details of Christian belief that people can have different opinions on. For example, uh, believer's baptism or the baptism of babies, right? So Mission View Church holds to a believer's baptism. Now, there are some churches like uh, the Presbyterian Church that believes that, that baptizing babies is the way God tells us to do it, right? Now, just because someone has a difference of belief on how to do baptism doesn't mean we should divide from them. We believe that they are Christians just like us. I have a friend who's Presbyterian, and there is no way I would ever choose to divide on something like this. I want him to always be my friend, my friend for life. Just because he thinks that when he has a child, he needs to baptize that child doesn't mean that I should not be his friend. Right? This is an example of a rib issue. Now, let me talk about opinions here for a second. I just shared about how a friend has a different opinion than I do, right? And we've been talking about how this polarized society, there's opinions flying everywhere, right? Well, let me just say, first and foremost, I'm an opinionated person. I am, and I'm not going to apologize for that. My wife would probably agree with me. Yes, Joe has a lot of opinions, sometimes more than she wants me to have, but it's the truth. But here, here's another truth, is we need to be sharing our opinions. We have to be. Our opinions with one another is the way we grow in deep relationship with each other. If we're not sharing our opinions with one another, there's no way we're going to have a relationship. I bring this up because in our society today, there's been a lot of talk and things being done to uh, shelter people in their little bubble of opinion over here and then shelter this person in a little bubble of opinion over here. It's been so bad that at college campuses, they're uh, not letting speakers in to speak just because that's, they know that speaker has a difference of opinion than what that college campus holds to. 
This is happening in America all over the place. Uh, there's a great book about it if you're super nerdy like me um, called The Coddling of the American Mind. I would, I would encourage you to read it. But it talks about this very issue where our opinions are not being brought together and talked about logically without emotion. Now, I have a friend and mentor who I'm dear friends with, okay? Him and I are both pastors and we both are opinionated. But we love each other. There is one specific thing. We, we differ in opinion on how someone comes to salvation, comes to know Jesus Christ. Him and I have a difference of opinion on that. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. I volunteered for a ministry that he led for six years. I went and worked for him for four years after that. He was my boss. I, I love him. And I'm not talking about salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. We agreed on that. But little things. There were little differences. It's like this little detail here. We don't, you know, I would say I'm right. He would say he's right. And we're, we disagreed. That's okay. We're friends. I just saw him uh, last weekend, and I'm excited. We're, we're going to get lunch in January once this Christmas season kind of slows down. So we're excited about that. You see, the church is allowed to have differences of opinions on rib issues. That's okay. But the mark of a mature church is being able to have that kind of difference of opinion and at the same time being able to have a relationship with each other. I, I love Mission View Church because we pray for other churches all the time. We help other churches. Uh, we are church planting other churches, like in Guatemala right now. We're building a church building for that church. So it's exciting. And this is how the kingdom of God moves forward. So you can have different views on details of the Christian life. But don't let those details divide you. So when a church is void of those types of sins that I listed before, and it is united in spirit, we achieve a unity which leads to complete joy. Joy is completed by uniting in spirit. Here's fourth and last one. Joy is completed by uniting in purpose. Being united in purpose is the fourth identifier of unity which completes joy, according to Paul. Now the last part of verse 2 says this, being in full accord and of one mind. So how did I summarize that part to get the word purpose? Well, first, I, I, you know, just being a studier, I looked at what a different English translation of the Bible says. And the NLT version says, working together with one mind and purpose. So we've already talked about one mind. But that word purpose comes out. You can also study it in the Greek. And the word purpose is really the heart of being full of cord and of one mind. It's the heart of it. It's that we have a common purpose. So here's what's interesting. If you go to our website on missionviewchurch.org, missionviewchurch.org you can look up what our purpose statement is as a church. Mission View Church, we have a purpose. Guess what it is? Matthew 22 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, Mission View Church, 
is our purpose. Our joy is completed when we unite around our ultimate purpose, which we call, we summarize that as love God and love others. Pastor Matt talks about this all the time. Now that purpose leads into something. What does it lead into? It leads into our mission. Everyone has a purpose and everyone has a mission here at Mission View Church. The mission is to go make disciples. You see, God is very clear on what the purpose of the church is. He calls every local church to the same purpose and the same mission. Isn't that crazy? Every local church, Christian local church, in the entire globe has the same purpose and the same mission. Now, Jen, my wife, and I, we both, well, she enjoys cooking more than I do. I, I'll cook for the practical reasons because I'm hungry. But she enjoys cooking, and she likes recipes. She likes to cook with a recipe. She likes when it tells her what to do, and she follows the steps. She loves it. I, on the other hand, I'm not a huge fan of recipes. Now, I use them, per se, as more of like a guideline. You know, when I cook, okay, it's, it's a guideline, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Jim's the same way as me, apparently. Yeah, recipes are more of a guideline to me. Jen loves her recipe list. And she follows it super precisely. You see, God has given every local church a recipe for your purpose and your mission. It's all the same. But here's the crazy thing. When you cook a meal, it doesn't always come out exactly the same. Because what do you have? You have different ingredients. You have different sizes of the cut of meat. You have the, the spices sometimes come different. Like, there's always differences, right? Um, it says use parsley, but you only have cilantro, whatever. You, know, you, you got to make it work somehow. Right? So in every local church, there are different people in the church, right? So we all have the same purpose and the same mission, but guess what? It's the same recipe, but it's a guideline. It's, it's something that, because we have different people doing these things, it's every local church is going to be different. But there's beauty in that. Every local church does it differently because it's filled with unique people in a unique place during a unique time. That's the church, and it's beautiful. So Mission View's recipe for fulfilling our purpose and mission is this. We have a statement. We want to see every member of our church knowing God and knowing others, growing in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others, and going in the power of the Holy Spirit with others. That is our discipleship pathway. This is our personal recipe for fulfilling our purpose that God gives us. And here's the beauty. When a church is united, when Mission View Church is united in this purpose, we achieve a unity which leads to complete joy 
Because guess what? There's no guessing on what someone's trying to do over there in the setup team. There's no guessing on what someone's trying to do over there in the, the live stream room. We all know. We're all here to love God, love others. We're all here to know God and know others. We're all here to grow in our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with others. We're all here to go in the power of the Holy Spirit with others to fulfill his mission. We're all here to do the same thing. We just all do it in slightly different ways. We all have our gifts. When a church unites in purpose, we achieve a unity which leads to complete joy. And joy is completed by uniting in purpose. Now here's what I just did. I gave you guys a measuring stick. What I've done is given you identity markers for how you can know personally if you're united with us as a church. I wanted to give those to you today. You know why? Because I want you to know how we can have complete joy here at Mission View. But remember, verse 1 is how you do these things. Oftentimes when I read uh, or study a passage like this and, or prepare a sermon, I like... You know, want to pull my bootstraps up. I want to grip my teeth and I just want to get better at my theology. I just want to be united more in spirit. Be better at love. Well, here's the thing is <laughs> we can't do that with this. These are identity markers of how to know if we're united that completes joy. But these aren't things where we grit our teeth and try to work harder at. That's not what I'm here telling you to do this morning. But here's the truth divinely empowered, so by the power of God, divinely empowered, internal unity is essential to the church's joy. When a church is leaning on God's power to have this internal unity that goes out into the world, we will be a happy and joyful church. So it's a measuring stick. And what we learned this morning is joy is completed by uniting in theology, uniting in love, uniting in spirit, and uniting in purpose. Let me tell you, my college roommates and I, I wish we knew this better. I wish that five years ago we knew how to do this so much better. And I want to read to remind you, how do you do this? I want to read uh, Philippians, Philippians verse 1 one more time. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, those are the if statements, if completed, complete joy. But the way we can summarize that verse really quick is this. That verse can be summarized by a person. That person is actually Jesus Christ. And we're in the Advent season this morning, and we're preparing ourselves to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ being birthed as a baby, incarnating among us, humbling himself in human form. So I want to pray with you this morning 
by reading something from Scripture. And as I do that, um, the band will be playing behind me. Let's pray. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 